invite you to take your scriptures and turn to the passage we read in John 4 a few minutes ago. We've been studying that Jesus was on a mission of must. And if you're not familiar with these texts, I'd like to ask, what does that mean? Or what did that mean for him to be on a mission of must? Well, it meant a lot of things. But one thing it meant for sure was that he saw people differently. And we saw that last week in how Jesus interacted with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very moral, theological, religious man. But Jesus was able to see uh, past the surface of his life and to see that Nicodemus, although he tried to portray that he did, really didn't have his life together. And Jesus was able to see through his self-righteousness and be able to see his deepest need. And for Nicodemus, his deepest need was to be, as Jesus would call it, be born again. And this week, we want to examine the next chapter right after it, and that is in John 4. I call these side-by-side stories. You have the story of Nicodemus in one chapter and the woman at the well in the next chapter. As we move on in the series, we're going to see that side-by-side story or analogy again when we look at the man born blind in chapter 9 and then the other sheep that Jesus had to bring in chapter 10. So we're going to look at both of them side-by-side. Now, although they are side-by-side, these two stories, these two people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, couldn't be any more different than they are. Um, Simply, Nicodemus was a man, she is a woman. That's a gender difference. He was an insider as far as religion is concerned, and certainly she was an outsider. As far as morality was concerned, he was self-righteous and she was unrighteous. Ethnicity, he was a Jew and she was a half-Jew. Socially, he was certainly he was acceptable and she was anything but acceptable. So in almost every level of life you could think of, as you compare these two, they were completely polar opposites. But being on a mission of must for Jesus should mean the same thing for us. And what is that? That we see people differently. Namely, we see people, can I say it this way, without distinctions. See, Jesus knew the difference between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. But he didn't see people. He doesn't look at people, even this morning, he doesn't see people according to your class. He doesn't, make, he doesn't see you according to your race or your gender, or your moral performance, or lack thereof. For Jesus and for us, if we are on the mission of must with him, we are going to see people and give them the gospel, and it doesn't matter who they are, and it doesn't matter what they've done. You see, being on a mission of must means that we see people from a different perspective. We see them in their greatest need. And so let me say it straight to you this morning. Get going with Jesus on a mission of must means this, that you'd be willing to go anywhere and to talk to anyone for him. Both of those things. We're going to unpack them just one at a time. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is it you? If you're on the mission of must, are you, is that what you find yourself? Are you willing to go anywhere and talk to anyone? Well, see, that's what Jesus does. And so in the first one, verse 4, we read that already, has our first must usage. And that's the part that's going to talk about Jesus on a mission of going anywhere. The last two in verses 20 through 24 we're going to talk about Jesus reaching out on a mission to anyone. Let's do them both one at a time. 
Verse 4, let me read it again to you. It said, and he had to. Put it in your mind. He was on a mission. He, it was a must for him to go through Samaria. Now, why does that matter? Why is that verse in there? Because for all other Jews, practically speaking, they would have said that they had a must not to go through Samaria. Jewish people, especially if you are Orthodox and you kept Torah, you would... Samaria was in the middle. Galilee at the top of Israel, Samaria in the middle, Judea at the bottom. If you were really clean and holy and righteous before God, you'd be willing to walk all the extra miles to walk around Samaria just so that you wouldn't have to be around Samaritans. That's how much Jews and Samaritans did not get along. In fact, they mostly hated each other. And so most people would say, I walk around it. Jesus said, that's not me though. Because I'm on a mission of must. And when you're on a mission of must, what everybody else avoids and goes around, he went straight through it, see. And you can pick up on the tension in the differences between Jew and Samaritans, right? In Jesus' conversation, look at verse 9. Even the woman at the well is surprised and shocked that Jesus would even talk to her, much less ask her to take her bucket and dip it in the well and give him water because that would mean she'd have to touch things and he would touch what she touched. They didn't do that. Verse 9 says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? See, for her, it was... And I hate to say it, it happens in America and our churches all the time. It's an us versus them mentality. Us versus them, white versus black, Democrat versus you know, Republican, whatever it is. See, we see people in those eyes of distinction. But see, when you're on a mission of must, that's not how Jesus saw her. And it shocked her. It surprised her. And see, for Jesus, when you're on this mission of must, it is compelling. It compels us to go places that we wouldn't normally go. But not just places that may be dangerous, but more importantly, places that are different, with people in them that are different than we are. See, Jesus on this mission did not just step over geographical boundaries. He, when it said he had to go through Samaria, it wasn't just saying, hey, you're a Jew, you shouldn't go through this piece of land. That, that's not the main point. The main point is, is that the geographical boundaries and barriers that no one else went through, they stood for things. They symbolized. You know what it symbolized? Gender differences, religious differences, moral differences, spiritual, social differences. And when Jesus said, I have to go through, I must go through Samaria, he was saying, listen, if you're on mission with me, that's what you will be like. Purposely and intentionally going over the boundaries, seeing people different then everybody else sees them. I came across a quote uh, for Missions Month, and I've been pretty much saying it to myself every day, and I wanted to share it with you. It's where you stand on the mountain will determine what you see in the valley. Jesus stood on the mountain, not at the bottom of the mountain where all he could see was a flat surface of Samaria cross. Can I say it metaphorically? He stood on the mountain, and he, he got high enough to see, away from everything else, to see Samaria for really what it was. It wasn't just full of Samaritans. It was full of souls. It was full of people who needed him. And for him, that meant he had to go there. See, Jesus had a mountaintop view of Samaria. So he was able to see past their physicality. He was able to see past the racism and past the distinctions 
and the different worship views and the morality and the way that they lived their lives. And he had to go there. That happened for me about 13, 15 years ago is being at Faith Baptist Church, we're in the suburbs. And so um, I was asked to go downtown in inner city Trenton to do a Bible study. And I parked underneath the building, but that didn't work for a while. And so I eventually had to park on the street. And then I would walk down the street a few blocks and I walked places I didn't know where I was going and alleys that were, you know, had gang graffiti on it. I realized later when I got some information from a police officer buddy of mine that probably shouldn't have been walking there and I saw I saw drug busts and I saw people arrested on my way walking to where I was going to my it, it changed my whole view of it and, and from that bible study and walking to a second bible study that I had in another part of town I met two homeless guys and two homeless guys separately told me that what would what I asked them what could I do for you and each one of them said not ever talking to each other I would like to have a dignity of taking a shower. And that's how the shower trailer started. And eventually from the shower trailer and talking to all the people who come to the shower trailer, we started Mosaic Baptist Church from that. But see, none of those things would have ever happened. God would have never been, you know why? He had to give me a different view, a different view of it. See, when you view those, that, that place and all that's going on there in some of the places, not all, If you only view it from this nice facility in the suburbs, you don't see it the same way. But see, Jesus is saying to us, see, on a mission of must, you have to learn to see it differently. You have to go to the mountaintop. I'll never forget Sam Lamoth, uh, about five years before he died. He went on his first mission trip. He was one of the first mission trips to Panama that we took when we bought the property and the the facility down there. Pastor Ray goes... And, and it was his first one at 74 years old, his first mission strip. And we, exci- we were so excited about it that we always get missions t-shirts that everybody wears. And we put 74 on the sleeve of all the mission shirts because we couldn't, you know, it was so awesome that it set, see, that for Sam, he had finally got to the top of the mountain. And I remember talking to Sam and say, Sam, do you want to go on this trip? He goes, oh, Pastor Walker, it's more than that. I have to go. I have to. He goes, I should have gone a long time ago. And I'll never forget, I must go. See, Sam got it. He got to the top of the mountain and he realized, oh yeah, there are people out there in other places, places that I normally wouldn't have gone and haven't gone my whole life, and they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Sam went on that trip. You know why? Because he had got to the mountaintop. I suppose the most iconic use of that analogy is the speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave on April 3rd, 1963 to steel workers on the night before he was assassinated. And his famous speech goes like this, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. You know, how is it on the eve of his death, he didn't know that, but how, how is it that Martin Luther King, despite all of the opposition and the jails and the be- everything that took place in his life, how did he have the ability to see past all the racism and keep going even though it cost him his life? Because he had been to the mountaintop. He had got a view, and I would hope to say a view from where God was at, about what equality, racial equality could look like. See, Have you ever had that in your life? Do you have a mission 
of must in your life that moves you and compels you out of love to go places that you would never go. Maybe it would just be as simple as you going across the street. Have you ever said to God, I must go across the street and meet my neighbors? Have you ever said that? I must go across town. See, there's a ministry I could have there. I have to go across town. Or maybe I have to go, I must go downtown to have that ministry. Maybe it's as as simple, as even as complex as I must go across the sea. See, you don't have to go to Panama to understand what the mountaintop view says. See, because he views the valley differently. And Jesus said, I have to go. I must go to Samaria. You know why? Because that was what missions of must. He saw the people differently. That's the first must, verse 4. But the other two are connected to it because it's not just that the mission of must means that you'll be a, have a mission to anywhere, as important as that is, but also you'll have a mission to anyone. And Jesus is going to talk to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he's going to talk about two topics of conversation. So let me look at each one of them with you real quickly. He's going to talk about and compare two wells And then he's going to talk about and compare two worshipers, right? Two wells. The whole story, if you look in chapter 4 in your Bible, verses 7 through 12, you can see the dialogue between Jesus and this woman. And it's about the well. Jesus asked her for water. The disciples had gone into town to get food. If you don't know anything about travel, everybody, every group carried their own bucket. It was a kind of a collapsible leather bucket. And when they went into town, they took the bucket. He didn't have one. So he asked her to take her bucket, draw, put it down into the well, and get him some water. They had this conversation about physical water because that's the first well. It's Jacob's well. It's been there forever. Everyone used it. And the woman came there at noon because she didn't want to be around all the other women in the morning and the evening when everybody else came because of the lifestyle that she lived. So she came there thinking that the only well I ever need to drink from is Jacob's. You see, then you have that, and Jesus says there's another one, you're missing it. There's a Jacob's well and there's a Jesus well. See, Jacob's well quenches your physical thirst, but the Jesus well quenches your spiritual thirst. Jacob's well only satisfies temporarily. But the Jesus well, see, it satisfies eternally. And after this talk back and forth of her dipping her bucket down and getting him the physical water, he tells her or begins to tell and communicate to her the real water, the living water, he calls it. And look at verse 13. Would you do that with me? Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But in contrast... If you drink Jacob's well, it won't do it for you ultimately. But, he says, whoever drinks of the water, I will give him. If you let go of the Jacob's well and you start drinking from the Jesus well, he says, then you will never be thirsty again. Everyone in this room this morning, and I don't care what your ethnicity, your background, your class, your social status, your gender, it doesn't matter. Here's what is true of every single one of us in this place this morning. Everyone is thirsty Everyone is thirsty. I don't know that you have. I have never seen someone I thought was really, really, really thirsty. I have never seen someone dying of dehydration. You know, as well as I do, that our bodies are made up of a higher percentage of water than we'd ever want to imagine. In fact, the truth is you can't live without water. Just a few days and you will start to die. 
If you've ever read about the dehydration process of dying without water, you'll know it's an utter torment. Your tongue begins to swell, the back of your throat begins to burn, your internal organs begin to shut down. It is a long, horrible, painful death. See, Jesus is saying to this woman, see, I have a water that your soul needs that is even greater than the water that your body needs. And that's saying a lot. If your body has to have it or you'll die, Jesus is saying, let me tell you this, I have a water and I'm offering it to you today. And if you don't have it from me, if you try to get water like this from anywhere else, it's only going to make your thirst greater. It's almost like Jesus would say that you're sipping salt water. Have you ever been so thirsty? And some, if, no one offers salt water because in drinking it, you just get thirstier and it makes your condition worse. See, everyone in this room today, you came in here thirsty. But the question is, where are you putting your bucket down to find the satisfaction? Jesus says, when you put the bucket of your soul down into a well where you can't be satisfied, you're going to always have to come back for more. See, what you need is to put your bucket down in a well that will deeply quench your inner thirst. And, and, and a lot of you, and perhaps why some people even come to church, period, because you're thirsty for purpose. See, you're trying, why do I exist? What's the meaning of, you know, you wake up every day and, and, and you, have you ever said like Tom Brady after six Super Bowls, is this really it? Is this, I just get up in the morning and I go to work and I do the same routine and I do the, is this really it? What, why? What's the reason for my life? Some people are thirsty for acceptance. They're still, even as an adult, looking for their mom and dad to give them the acceptance that they probably never had. They're looking for it from their boss. They're looking for it from their spouse or their children or their friends. There are people who are thirsty for a relationship and they make horrible choices about who they date and eventually at times who they marry and their lives is in a wreck, it's a shamble and the relationship didn't work out but they wanted, they wanted a relationship. They wanted to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They wanted, to be in a, they wanted to have a wedding. They wanted a ring on their finger and they're willing to do anything to get it because they're thirsty for it. They're thirsty for happiness. At every turn in their life, it seems they have anything but happiness. And they're saying, if I could do this or have this or buy this or go here, see, then I'd really be happy. And they really never are. They're thirsty for inner peace. They're thirsty. See, if you put your bucket in any other place, Jesus would say, or any other pursuit outside of him, you're going to thirst and thirst and thirst again. And that's why people who get drunk keep getting drunk. And that's why when you get high, you have to have a bigger high. And that's why when you watch pornography, you have to keep doing it. And that's why you buy a bigger house and a bigger car and you have to have more money and you have to have another promotion and you have to have a bigger bank account because the number really is never enough. And that's why you need to get married. And if that one doesn't work, you get married again and again. See, people are here this morning, and perhaps some of you, and you're dying of thirst. And the reason that you're dying of thirst is you're drinking out of the wrong water from the wrong well. That's what compels us to go to Samaria. That's why Jesus went there, because he saw people as this. They're drinking at the wrong well, and they are going to die of thirst. That's the people that you and I as believers rub shoulders with. 
See, the Samaritan woman had only been coming to drink from Jacob's well. She only recognized the physical thirst that she had, but she didn't know that there was another well. She didn't know about the Jesus well, and that's why he was there, and that's why God has put you in the office that you're in, and that's why you're in the neighborhood that you're in, and that's why the friends you have and the restaurants you frequent and the people that you know, you know why? Because they're thirsty, and you have the right well. You have the right water. See, for this woman, she had been drinking at the well of relationships and approval and sex. And she was thirsty, so thirsty. She had gone through five husbands and the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. She was so thirsty and she didn't even know how thirsty she really was. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out for themselves broken cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you had a, a rock formation that, was, that went down into form of a basin or a bowl, people would keep water in there because in a desert climate, water was life for them and their animals. And Jesus is saying, you know what people do? They forsake me. They, they forsake me when I could give them water and satisfy them. Instead of me, they choose broken cisterns. And what was a broken? It was a cistern that had a hole in the bottom of it. So imagine the rain comes and the water comes in. And you think everything's great. But as fast as the water comes in, it goes out the bottom. You can't be satisfied by it. So knowing that, Jesus says, the world's well will never do it for you. And so he wants to show her that. See, that's when we witness to people. We have to show them that the wells they're drawing water and satisfaction from won't do it for them. They're empty. They're banal. They're worthless. And so he says to her, he says to her in verse 16, go get your husband. But he doesn't say it in a condemning way. He says it to convict her. Why? Because he wants to bring her to the place of, I want you to see, and maybe God brought you here. I want you to see this is what you're hoping in. These are the hopes that you already have, but I want you to show you how empty they are. So what would it be if Jesus was here this morning that he would say to you, see, for her, go get your husband. Maybe he would say to you, go get your career. Go get your career. I want to show you, it won't do it for you. Go get your financial portfolio and the money and the stocks and the savings you have and the money you think that will answer and solve all problems. Go get it because you can't be satisfied by it. Go get your family and your kids. See, maybe you've said everything is my wife or my kids and if they, something happens in their lives or something doesn't go right for them, your world falls apart. Jesus says, go get them. Go get them. You know why? Because they won't satisfy you. Go get your, ethic, your, your, ethnical, your ethnic identity. Go get it. Because if you're bound up in being white or black or Hispanic, or any, if that is what is most important to you, he's, let me tell you, he says this, it won't do it for you. If it's your political party, go get it. Bring it back here. Put it side by side with me. Go get whatever and just put it side by side with me. And here's what Jesus is telling the woman. And here's what he brought you here to tell you today. It won't do it for you. Set it next to me. Look what it can offer you. It can't compare. There's no way that that can give you what I can give you. And the amazing thing that Jesus says is this. If you only knew, he says, 
in verse 4, if you only knew the gift of God. You know the crazy thing about it is the water that satisfies, the water that brings you all that you're looking for and far more, Jesus says it's free. It's free. See, that's what we need. That's our message on the mission of must. We're going to people and saying, you need to drink the Jesus water because it'll be more than you ever imagined. Not just forgiveness in heaven someday, but the life you want to live. Listen, not all the pleasures and not because there's no problems. Not that kind of life. A life that has purpose and meaning and significance eternally for the glory of God. He says, if you want the living water, it's free. And it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you've done. Isaiah 55 and verses 1 through 3, read this. If you want to turn there, or I'm going to see on the screen, here we go. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Watch. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know what Isaiah is saying? Come because God has got salvation for you. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's not up for sale. It's free. Come. Bring your husband, he says, and, and, and say this, it's free. And bring your husband and say, you don't do it for me, Jesus does it for me. That's what he says, come, it's free, it's a gift. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and verse 6, it says, to those who are thirsty, I will give to them the springs of living water without money. See, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't get it from being Catholic, you can't get it from being good enough, you can't get it because you took the sacraments or being Baptist or being baptized. That's, it's free. Pastor Walker, how in the world is that possible? How can Jesus make such an offer to a woman that the well of salvation and the water of life is free? Here's how. Later in this very gospel, in John 19, 28, Jesus says, as he's hanging on the cross, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, it says, he said, I thirst. You see, Jesus died of thirst so that you would never have to. See, he died on the cross, and why did he die? Because all the things that you went to find satisfaction in, all the sins, all the things that you did, contrary to what he said, he took your place and died for those sins. He took it upon himself. The one who is living water said, I thirst. And his death on the cross in payment for your sins allows him to offer to this woman and to you the salvation of living water. But that's the first issue. See, that's the issue of true water. But she, doesn't, she wants to change the, the subject, as we often do when people we witness to. And so she wants to talk about true worship. And, and so she's going to start talking to him about which temple is the right one to worship in. And, and you might think that this is a completely different subject, but it really is connected. And let me tell you how. Because unless you are one who drinks the true water, you will never be a true worshiper. You see the difference? See the connection? See, the true water allows you to be a true worshiper. She hasn't drank from that water yet, therefore she doesn't understand what true worship is. She thinks that the issue is about whether you do it in the temple of Samaria or you do it in the temple at Jerusalem. And she wants to make the issue about worship a where issue. But Jesus is going to turn it around as he always does 
And he won't allow her to make it a where issue. He makes it a who issue. It's not going to be about place. It's going to be about a person. Worship is a word in the English we get from the two words put together, worth-ship, worth. It's about denoting something or someone as being superior in value. So somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, would you like a bottle of Mountain Dew? You say, of course, everyone would want that. And so you say, how much does it cost for that one bottle? And they say to you, $20. And you said, take a hike. Even for me, that's a little bit stiff, isn't it? That's crazy. That's ridiculous. It's not what? It's not worth it, right? So not even a minute later, another person comes up to you and they say this. I'd like to sell you my brand new 2022 just off the showroom Corvette. You say, really? That's probably not going to happen because what do you want for it? $20. $20? And your first thought out of your mind is, I don't know if I can do that. You know how many Mountain Dew bottles I could buy for that? No, that's not what you're going to say. You're not going to say that. What are you going to say? Here's the $20. As fast as you can, you give him the money and make the deal for him before he comes to his senses, right? We say, Pastor Walker, $20 is $20, isn't it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because the money and its value and what it means and how quickly you're willing to depart with it is all based on what? Completely dependent on the object that is before you. Right? Here's what Jesus tells the woman. It's not about the temple in Samaria or in Jerusalem because worshiping God is valuing him supremely above all things. Worshiping God is seeing him and giving him the praise and honor that he is worthy of. Worshiping God is making him supreme in the affections of my heart. And so the woman says in verse 20, second must, see, you think it's, we think it's Samaria, but you think it's in Jerusalem where people ought or must worship. She says she thinks the must is about something that's physical. And did you notice what Jesus says back to her in verse 20 and following? Jesus doesn't say you have to worship in the Jewish temple. He doesn't say that. Although he does say to her salvation is of the Jews. There's no debating that. But he says it's not so much an issue about worshiping in the Jer Jerusalem. He doesn't say that. And then he doesn't say that you should worship in the temple at Samaria. He doesn't really say either or neither. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? Did you notice it? Look, listen, he's saying that you don't worship the Father in this temple or that temple. Get ready. He's saying you worship the Father through me. That's why he says, look at verses 21 and 23. The hour is coming. He says it again. The hour is coming. And then he adds, and now is. Why does he say that? Because every time, every single time in John's gospel that Jesus talks about the hour definite article, every time, and there's 14 of them, it refers to his death on the cross. Here's what he's telling the woman, and here's what he's telling you today. My death on the cross changes everything about worship, changes everything. 
It is no longer, my death makes, it's no longer about the temple. In 70 AD, it would be destroyed. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. It's not about the temple in Samaria. Here's what Jesus says. It's about me. I am the temple of God. Jesus said so much earlier in this gospel already in chapter 2, didn't he? He said, you knock this temple down, destroy it, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And John says, but he was talking about the temple of his body. See, you know what worship is? True worship, it's coming to realize that Jesus is of infinite value and worth. And that even though he was infinitely valuable and worthy, he died on the cross for your sins. That's what a true worshiper is. A true worshiper is someone, Jesus says, the last must in verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. See, Jesus says spirit and truth. It's about the temple inside of you, not the temple outside of you. It's not about the building. It's about my body. Do you get it? He says, See, true worship is for someone who has drank the true water and their inside, their soul, their spirit has been radically and eternally transformed. That is what you're missing this morning, perhaps. That's why the inner happiness and peace and satisfaction eludes you and why you've made some awful decisions in your life and you've gone down certain roads because you have Put your bucket down in the wrong well and you drink from the wrong water. And Jesus says, and that's why you can't worship right. You don't see me as infinitely valued. You see this next relationship or this career move. That's what really is valuable to you. But it would all change. It would all change if you became a true worshiper. And so throughout John's gospel, he talks about true. He says, I'm the true light, true God. Jesus says, I offer the true bread, true drink. I am the true vine. I speak the true testimony. He can't stop talking about what is true. And it's not just true as adverse to false. It's true because it's true versus real. It's real, he says. You want real water. You want to be a real worshiper. He says, you have to know me. You have to know me. Pastor Walker, I understand this morning, and let me close with this as a Christian, that everyone around me is thirsty. I can see it in the way they talk at work, the stories they tell, the things they laugh at, the lives they live. I can see it. How in the world as a Christian, where do I get the passion? Where do I get the strength and the ability to live this mission of must like Jesus did every, every day? Can I close with this just real briefly? Chapter 4 and verse 34, the disciples come back Jesus has had this conversation with the woman. And here's what he says to his disciples who follow him. He says to them, and they also, he, they want to give him something to eat because he hasn't, he's tired, he's thirsty, he hasn't eaten. And so they bring him back food from town and he says, no, nah, no thanks. And they, what, someone must have given him food while we were gone. So they think. But Jesus says in 434, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, the, minion of, the mission of must has a menu and it has two things on the menu. Water for the lost and food for the saved. 
And Jesus says this, and, and, and I wrote this down, the answer to a thirsty world is a hungry Christian. You know how you reach people? You know how you see people like that? You know how you get or become compelled to go places and talk to people like Jesus did and how it consumes your life? You know how you do it? You feed on his food. Jesus says, I have a food. See, I have food that you don't know about. And it's not physical, it's spiritual food. Food to him was what? Doing God's will and doing God's work. See, because God is infinitely valued, what he sent me to do is infinitely important. See, it is a complete different framework. And Jesus and living for him and being on mission is not what you do when you have a little spare time and you have a little extra money or you have a little bit of free time in your schedule and or it, somebody brings it to your doorstep that's not what it is it's my food jesus says and as if lost people can't go without water you can't go without this food you have to eat it daily daily he says my food that's what i that's what i'm all about jesus says that's what sustains me that's what gives me the strength to do this see you'll never reach people who are dying of thirst until you start dying of hunger that's what he wants you to see this morning. And that's what will make a difference in our community. That's how Faith Baptist Church will make a difference. We need to feed on Jesus. And when we do, we would be willing to go anywhere and talk to anyone because we know they're thirsty. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this text. We're so thankful for the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. If there are some today who are listening to the sound of my voice, and mostly, more importantly, your voice, and they have to admit that their lives are broken because they drink from broken cisterns, they're searching. They're putting their bucket down in the wrong well, the wrong water. They keep looking for satisfaction where it cannot be found. Father, give them repentance that they might turn to you and see in Jesus and all that he is for them through his cross, death, and resurrection. He is the true satisfaction. He is the true living water that if they would drink from him by faith today, they would never, never thirst again. I pray also for God's people here, here today, Lord. We live in a world that's dying of thirst. And the reason why we're not reaching them, perhaps, is because we're not dying of hunger. Because we're not feeding on Him, we don't care about those who are thirsty. Certainly not like we should. Forgive us. Help us, Lord. May this be our food and drink that we live on mission of must with you. And we'll praise you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close before we dismiss for small groups. Would you stand? We're going to sing, I love to tell the story. Let's stand and sing together as we're dismissed. I love to tell the story. We'll sing two verses. <laughs>